Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this Thy day. Lord, may this day be kept holy in this land. We thank Thee that there's still power in the blood of Christ to cleanse sinners. We thank Thee that Thy touch has lost none of its ancient power. No word from Thee can fruitless fall. O oh God, we gather here today, and our hearts are sore and sad at the happenings of the past days. O oh God, we praise Thee that Thou, above it all and through it all and amidst it all, that Thou art still upon Thy throne, that we can say, The Lord reigneth, let the people of God rejoice. And in the darkness there is light. In the hopelessness, there is hope. In death, there is life. In tragedy, hallelujah, there is triumph. O oh God, we pray that this day, thy people may be willing in the day of thy power. Keep thy hand upon the enemy. We pray, our God and Father, that the voices of evil men may be silenced, and the mansions of evil men may be brought to naught. And those who would take the gun and shoot their fellows, and those that would create anarchy and revolution in our streets, our God, overthrow them, we pray. We put not our trust in men or in politicians or parliaments or armies. We put our trust in the living God, the God of our fathers. Oh, help us in our hour of crisis. Deliver us in our day of tragedy. Bless all who have come to thy house. Grant that man and woman may go away helped and blessed. Strengthen for the battle of life. Those that are not saved, save them today, we pray. May they realize that salvation is not in a church or a sacrament. That salvation is in Christ alone. That neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Do a work of grace in this house this day, for Christ's sake. The people of God sent. Amen. The Psalm 110 and the verse 3. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the Jew of thy youth. This psalm is a coronation psalm, a psalm of Christ the King. The word Christ comes from the New Testament Greek Messiah in the Hebrew. It means anointed. In the Old Testament, King were anointed, prophets were anointed, and priests were anointed. The Lord Jesus Christ exercises for his people a threefold office. He is their priest. They need no other. They require no other. They will have no other. Jesus Christ, the anointed priest. You have that in this Sam verse 4. 
Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is God's anointed prophet. What is a prophet? A prophet is a person designated to bring God's message to man. He speaks forth the word of God. Jesus Christ is the eternal word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the prophet. But in this, Sam, we have his coronation. He is God's king. He is the sovereign one. Look at verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now in verse 3, you have the subjects described. And then you have the sovereign described. Not very hard to notice that there are two parts to this verse. After mourning, there is a colon. The first part of the verse refers to the subjects of the king. Let me read it to you. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning. That's the subjects of the king. Here is something about the king himself. The sovereign. What does it say of him? Thou hast the Jew of thy youth. That's a most interesting sentence, which we will look at in a moment or two. But if you look with me at the subjects of the king... You will find five promises here. First of all, there is the promise that is related to time. Notice it. The day of thy power. And I want to talk a little about the day of God's power. Secondly, you have the promise of the people. Thy people. A particular Peculiar, chosen, designated people, thy people. And we want to look at the subject of the people of God. Then you will notice there is a promise of action. The promise of time, the promise of the people, the promise of action. Thy people shall be willing, shall be willing. Here we have the action of God's people. Seen in their willingness. Then you have a promise of character. Designated in the beauties of holiness. There you have the character of the true people of God. And then you have the promise of birth. Look at it. From the womb of the morning. So here we have five promises. Scriptural interpretation says 
The first shall be last, and the last first. And so to find the meaning of these promises, you've got to work back from the last promise. What is the last promise? It's a promise of birth. That's where we stop. The whole Christian life starts with the birth. And there was a day, praise God, in the experience of God's people when they came forth from the womb of the morning. All things passed away. The day of darkness, degradation, depravity and debauchery finished. And praise God from the womb of the morning, God brought forth His people by a new birth. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And let me tell you something, that's not done by the mechanics of the church. That's not done by sacrament, ritual, or ceremony. I am speaking now of the work of the blessed Spirit of God in the heart. That young man who came to see me last Sunday night, he said, for eight Sundays, he had been coming to this house. He had left his old church and old apostate ecumenical center. And he said when he came every night, something was happening. What was happening? The Holy Ghost was working. And then last Sunday, he knelt at the cross and found pardon through the blood of Christ. This is not the mechanics of any ceremony of man. This is the mighty regenerating work of the Spirit of God. And what Ulster needs today is a mighty, old-fashioned, heaven-sent revival that'll smite sinners to their faces under conviction of sin and lead them to the truth of the Holy Word that make us wise unto salvation. This is where we start with God's people. God's people are not designated by denominational label. You could be a member of the most fundamental church in the world and not be born again. What we need is a new birth. We need to emphasize that. It's not by association, it's by regeneration. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So this is where we start. But I want you to notice as you work back that there's not only the promise of birth but there is the promise of character. If a man is born again, there will be about him the beauty of holiness. How do I know that a man is born again? How can I be sure that he's in Christ? I cannot see or discern the work of the Holy Ghost within his heart, for that is inward and is internal. But if a man is born again of the Spirit of God, his character radiates the power of the new birth within his life. The garment of the Christian is holiness. This is an age of worldliness. This is an age when the world holds out her fair hand and says, Come with me to my gardens of recreation and my palaces of pleasure. There used to be a time when God's people were visibly marked because of their separated stand from the worldliness of an evil day. 
But alas, the standards have gone down today. God help us to raise the standards in this church. God keep this preacher faithful to the clean testimony of the gospel. My friend, if you claim to be born again of the Spirit of God, if you claim to be regenerated by God's Spirit, then your life and character must radiate the holiness of the law. And if I see a man dabbling with the world and playing about with the smoke of this world and singeing his hands in the fires of this world, I have no proof that that man has ever been born again. You see, my friend, there is a standard set for the people of God. I'm sure that we can say, thank God the things that we once loved we now hate. Thank God the things that we once hated we now love. For God has worked a work, a miracle within our heart. Do you remember, child of God, how you used to spend Sunday with the filthy newspapers of this Sunday age? And then at night in the club with your companions and the siren voice of pleasure. But thank God when the Sabbath day comes, what do the people of God say? Thank God God's day has come at last. Thank God the doors of the house will be opened. Thank God we'll assemble with the saints of God. Thank God we'll see people saved by God's grace. The fact that a man loves the Lord's day is a fact that he loves the Lord of that day. Do we love his day? Do we love his name? All right, there's the promise of character, but there's also the promise of action. The people of God will be willing. And now we're coming to the doctrine of irresistible grace. What does that mean? That means when God takes upon it to do something in a man's life, all the devils in hell can't stop it. Hallelujah. And God lays hold upon it. Do you remember when you were unsaved, you weren't a bit willing to come to Christ? You wanted to press on in your sin and in your folly. But what happened? The grace of God got the hold of me. Preserve me when my feet made haste to hell. There I would have gone. But God has done all things well. Thy love was great. Thy grace was free that from the pit delivered me. Let me tell you, it's not of him that runneth, nor of him that willeth, but it's God that showeth mercy. It's God that saves us. The mighty grace of God. This is the doctrine of the gospel, that when the Holy Ghost gets hold of a man, to redeem that man and save him, there's not a power in hell can stop the work of grace within the heart. This is a wonderful thing. God's people are willing. They were made willing to come to Christ. Jesus said to people, ye will not come that you might have life. And that was true of every one of us. But there was a day when our stubborn will, hallelujah, was broken. There was a day when our rebellion ceased. There was a day when we cried, I yield, I yield, by dying love compelled to only conqueror. 
and God had mercy upon us. Thy people shall be willing, willing to come to Christ. Willingness to come to Christ is a work of grace. I could preach the strongest possible message and give the strongest possible invitation, and not a soul would be seen. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But praise God if I preach the most feeble of sermons and give the most feeble of invitation. If the Holy Ghost is working, praise God, sinners will be saved. It's not by might nor by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. God's people will be willing to be saved. But I'll tell you something else. When God's working, God's people will be willing to serve. Not only to be saved, but to serve. Why is it that the people of God are not willing to serve the Lord with all their heart? and with all their soul, and with all their mind. If every member of this great congregation was willing to serve the Lord with all their soul, and with all their mind, what a change would be in our permits. They would catch fire. But this willingness must be wrought in our hearts by the Spirit of God. Now let us come back to the day of thy power. The day of thy power. This is not a day of the preacher's power. Powerful preachers are impotent if the Holy Ghost doesn't work. It's not the day of the hearer's power. You could pack the building from end to end and have cures on the roadway. But if the Spirit of God withdraws, if the Spirit of God is not heard among the people of God, then it would not be a day of power. I want to say to something to you this morning. This age in which we live dispensationally is a day of God's power, for it's the dispensation of the Spirit of God. But let me tell you something else. God has been pleased from Pentecost until this present moment of time to give special days of power. Days of power. 1859 was a day of power, a day of God's power. Some of you folks remember the early 20s when W.P. Nicholson came as God's servant to this city. That was a day of power. But my friends, let us face it, today is not a day of power. The church is marked with weakness. The preachers are not the mighty man anointed by the Holy Ghost that they once were. The land is torn with anarchy. The churches have no real message. The clergy, in many senses, are completely divorced from their people. And they don't even know what the grassroots are even thinking about. The church is a failure. But praise God, Jesus never fails. And I believe that we need to pray for a day of power. If ever there was a time when God's people should bow the knee and say, Lord, send us a great revival. Visit this land with the power of heaven. Visit this land with the Jew of God. We need to pray that prayer today. Oh, for a day of power. When the people of God will pray the way they ought to pray. When the sinners smitten under conviction of sins and we'll hear from the pews the groaning of souls 
under deep heart concern. What a day that was in New England when Jonathan Edwards stood up in the pulpit. He didn't preach an eloquent sermon, for Jonathan Edwards couldn't preach. He had a manuscript closely written. He had bad eyesight. He held the manuscript right up to his face so that his congregation couldn't see him. And he read his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But as he read the message, the power of God fell. Sinners got up and held on to the pillars of the church and groaned in inward agony. And that day, 700 souls were smitten by the Spirit of God and the beginning of a great revival known as the New England Revival. It wasn't the preacher, for he didn't preach. It wasn't eloquence, but all he did was read. It was God, the Holy Ghost. We need the power of Pentecost in our services. And I'm not talking now about emotionalism or effervescence or man-made worked-out power, which is not power at all, but is a counterfeit. I'm talking about real, mighty Holy Ghost function, when the strongest of sinners are bent under the power of God as a willow wand would be bent under the tornado of the wind. A day of power. Do you not long for it? I long for it every day. Many years ago, God gave me a promise about this road, though it tarry, wait for it. That's a long time ago. I'm still waiting for the coming of the power of the Holy Ghost and revival. I still await that power to come. May God send it upon us. Then there is something else in this verse. There is the people concerned by people. It's not the people of the church. It's not some particular denomination. It's just God's people. God's people who are saved. By God's grace, God's people who know the Savior and love Him with all their hearts and with all their souls. The secret, my friend, is the people of God. Now, in closing, let's look at that last statement. Thou hast the Jew of thy youth. This refers to Christ. What does it mean? It means that amidst the passing of the century, it means amid the traverse of the millenniums that Jesus Christ is always the same. He will not fail nor be discouraged. You may say, I haven't got the Jew that I had the night I was saved. I don't feel the surge of power the way I used to feel. But let me tell you that Jesus Christ is still the same. Thou hast the Jew of thy youth. Do you remember David? He went out as a young boy to fight Goliath of Gath. And he won the battle. But later on he went out again when he was older. And the giants of Gath prevailed over him. And Abishai had to come and succor him. And the men of Israel said, Thou shalt go no more to battle, lest they quench the light of Israel. The Jew of David's youth had passed. He became old and fragile 
and weak. But King David's greater son doesn't weaken with the passing of the centuries or the march of the millennium. Jesus Christ personally is still the same. Oh, that we could see him today in all his glory. The triumphant one of the cross. The one who has defeated hell and death and the tomb. And arose victoriously in triumph. Religions of this world caricature the Christ. They make their cross and their crucifix. They betray him as a weak Christ hanging on the cross. They betray him as a helpless Christ uplifted in his mother's arms. No such thing. My Savior is the omnipotent Savior. He's alive. He's not dead. He lives. No more shall it be possible for him to be holden of death. Would you get your eye, my dear believer, on Christ today? Get your eye on Christ. Christ is the same. Same as he was in the day of Pentecost. Same as he was in the great Reformation when God shook Europe, delivered the nations from the tyranny and the darkness and the scourge of priestcraft and Romanism. And he's still the same today. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. There's one thing the Lord Jesus Christ is able for the situation in our land today. He hasn't failed personally. And I want to say something else. That the old gospel, praise God, has not lost the Jew of a truth. The message has been weakened because of the instruments that have delivered it. But the message inherently and intrinsically is still the same. And by the preaching of the pure gospel of Christ, this land of Ulster shall once again be delivered. God will not forsake his people. They can have their tripartite talks. They can call upon the clergy to get together in their ecumenical conclave. But I want to tell you, God has a purpose for this land. And God will not forsake his people. Thank God there are praying men and women in Ulster. And in their prayers, I have confidence that God will hear and God will answer. Let us be a willing people. Let us be a humble people. Let us be indeed the people of God. Let us lift our eyes from man, for cursed is him that trusteth in man. And let us put our eye on Christ. And let us remember he's got the Jew of his youth. He's still the same. And he can deliver us this day.